You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Well, good morning again, everybody. It's good to see you. And thanks so much for joining us for service here on Zoom. And um, I am excited that next week we are going to be meeting in person for any of you who are comfortable to meet in person or those who uh, have been listening but uh, haven't been attending services on Zoom. Um, I'm really excited for the opportunity to safely get together and, uh, and see all of you. So um, if you're comfortable, we'll be doing that next week. And of course, we'll still be having services via Zoom as well. So you can still dial in here on this channel. If you're not comfortable with that, if you have kids who uh, can't be here, any of those things. Um, but uh, again, I'm so glad that uh, you guys are all here and that we get to create and make this space together to keep being Central Avenue Church. Um, so, uh, of course, I uh, will remind you, I know most of you are probably aware, but we will be taking communion in service today. So if you haven't had a chance to grab any elements, um, whatever you have lying around your house uh, is great to be your bread and cup today. Um, and yeah, uh, with that, um, would you join me in prayer as we open our service? God of wonder, God of love, as we look around the world, we have so much that we can be hopeful and thankful for, for vaccines continued efficacy with current mutations of coronavirus, for slowly but surely more people being vaccinated and um, hopefully a continued ability to uh, come back to a new normal, whatever that means as we continue to um, practice doing life and all the things that we're excited to get back to in ways that are safe. Um, we also have so much to mourn. Um, we see um, continued cases of COVID increasing throughout the world. Rampant wildfires happening in the middle of a huge heat wave here. Um, and it's a reminder that there is still so much work for us to do and that you call us into a space of transformation. Um, not just of ourselves, but of this world. And so as we think about what that means um, to continue and seek transformation for marginalized and oppressed people, for wage equality, for care of our environment and taking seriously global warming, for caring for each other here in this community in the midst of each of our needs. God, I'm thankful so much that you call us to be a community of people together. Uh, and so we come to you out of various different places in all of the different areas of our lives. But thank you for making us social creatures who thrive in being together. Thank you for the continued opportunities for us to come together. Um, be with us here in this place. Give us comfort and peace. Thank you for joining with us as we celebrate and allow us to be people who continue to transform this world into um, more of the space you have called us to be together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I wanted to share with you uh, a responsive um, piece of liturgy. And um, 
Yeah. Uh, so as uh, is typically the case, um, I will read the parts in bold, uh, or uh, that are not in bold, excuse me. We'll pray together uh, the uh, parts that are in bold, um, but let this be our prayer uh, this morning. And so this is a responsive prayer for justice that was written by Rebecca Sutton. And um, she is a pastor in the UCC church. And this was written particularly in mind for um, uh, wage equality and for increasing the minimum wage uh, and allowing people to have a livable wage. Um, but I think it's more practical for justice in general on a larger scale and fits really well with what we talk about here at Central. Um, and so would you join me in this responsive prayer for justice this morning? Pray for those who are hungry. Pray harder for those who will not feed them. Pray for those who struggle each week to pay their bills. Pray harder for the wealthy who do not care. Pray for those who are homeless. Pray harder for those who deny them shelter. Pray for the sick and lonely. Pray harder for those who will not give them comfort. Pray for those who cry out for dignity. Pray harder for those who will not listen. Pray for those oppressed by unjust wages. Pray harder for those who exploit them. Pray for those who bear the yoke of prejudice. Pray harder for those who discriminate against them. Pray for those whose basic needs are denied. Pray, Pray harder for public, public officials who cater to the greedy and ignore those bound unjustly. We pray these things in hope that we can be a part of transforming this world into a place of justice. Amen. Well, as Bob mentioned, um, if you don't have something for communion, please feel free to grab something nearby. Um, if you haven't joined us for communion before, um, especially in this virtual space, um, we're just using whatever it is that we have to, um, to fill in for the bread and the wine. Um, we haven't in a while, uh, well, at least not as, a, as an organized way, but if anyone would like to share what, what they have substituting in today, feel free to put that in the chats. I have the trusty Cheez-Its here, um, always different combos of that. Um, but as you do, uh, hear these words, hear this prayer as we take communion together in all these different spaces yet uh, here together on screen as the body. Um, so hear these words, pray with me. Beloveds, we come to this table because we are claimed in covenant, because we are still learning what covenant and togetherness means, how it looks and moves and feels, because we long for liberation, because we thirst for justice, because we know the need fierce and urgent for grace and freedom and nourishment in our flesh and our bones, because this is not the table of any particular church. This is Christ's table. And you are invited to bring your whole lives and all are welcome here, period. Because we remember on the night he was arrested while the powers and principalities of empire and supremacy and dominance raged Jesus, a brown skinned radical healer, community organizer, insurrectionist gathered people invited their fears and their longings, invited people into radical solidarity, justice, love, and action, healing of and in the world to which, for which, he gave his life over and over and over. Jesus took the bread, broke it, shared it, and said, take and eat, this is my body, the bread of new life, share this and remember. Then Jesus took the cup, blessed it, gave thanks for it and said, take and drink. This is the power of my lifeblood, the salve of salvation, the cup of blessing, share this and remember. And so we do, we remember, we offer, 
we receive and we share in this nourishing feast because we know how to nourish each other in ordinary and extraordinary ways because we need each other and we need the sacrament, the visible sign of life-giving grace flowing and overflowing. So come, and I invite you to take, come to the table, the virtual table, and take your bread and your cup um, at your own time, and we take it together. Amen. Thanks, Max. I love that um, prayer and reading that you shared with communion. I also love the way that it points out how much Jesus doesn't fit the kind of archetype that American Christianity has kind of lifted up for so long. It's still striking to hear those descriptions of Jesus. This morning, I wanted to share with you just a few things coming up here at Central this month. And so, uh, of course, uh, like we've been uh, talking about each week, we have some new opportunities to gather together safely in person. Um, and so I hope that you'll join us if you're comfortable doing that uh, for any of these events. But uh, next Saturday on the 17th, we will be having a hike. Dan and Angie will be sharing more details about that on our Facebook page. Uh, so if you're interested in hiking, and uh, I know they're doing hikes that are not super intense right now as we kind of get back into life together. So hopefully if you're a hiker and want to spend some time outside, you can join us for that. Next Sunday, the following day, is going to be our first in-person service here at Central. So we'll be meeting at the church building in the sanctuary. Um, I did want to let you know we are not going to be having child care yet. Um, as kids are not able to be vaccinated yet, we are still exploring exactly what that's going to look like and how we're going to come back together for children's ministry safely in the fall. But for the summer, um, we don't have childcare. Your kids are more than welcome to be with us in the space, uh, in the sanctuary, but we won't have a separate space for them downstairs. Um, and of course, we'll be observing social distancing there in the church uh, and encouraging people to uh, wear face masks. And, uh, and as we continue to do these in-person events, we will always be continuing to follow the best guidance for safety um, with how things are changing here in and around us. So know that your leadership is taking that very seriously, but I'm really excited for the opportunity for us to join together for service. And so uh, hopefully you'll be able to do that. And if you're not comfortable doing that yet, that's perfectly fine because we're still going to be meeting and hosting the service on Zoom as well. And it will still be interactive as it has been. Um, so you'll still be able to interact from Zoom, even with those of us who are uh, meeting in person uh, for church. Then we'll go back to our virtual service the next week on the 25th. Uh, and uh, afterwards, we'll be uh, having brunch at Aaron and Emily's at the Parsonage uh, again. And so it was great to see some of you there uh, last month and looking forward to seeing some of you again this month as well. Um, that's all we have. Look for more information and things coming up in August as well. Thanks, Bob. Now is the time that we share our joys and concerns. If you have a prayer request or a word of thanksgiving, we invite you to unmute and share that. Otherwise, you can always put it in the chat, and I'll do my best to see that and address it from there. Does anybody have anything they want to share this morning? Some days, not so much, and that's okay. Uh, that, Max. Hey, uh, hey Aaron. I, I see Anthony. Yeah. Sorry. I just, I want to give praise because my mom got an apartment and I had very little to do with it. And uh, that's period. That's all I need to say. Okay. <laughs> that's great news. I can tell that means a lot to you and I'm sure it does to your mom as well. And we give thanks for that. Thanks for sharing, Anthony. And uh, yeah, Max, I'll just turn it over to you at this point. Sure, thanks. Um, I, I'm gonna share a, a relatively new song. I think it came out like a month ago, 
um, by uh, a uh, an artist named Lucy Dacus, and she's part of Boy Genius. If you're familiar, that's the quote unquote super group with Phoebe Bridgers and Julian Baker, but essentially a, a number of, of young folks um, who like many of us were raised in some Christian circles and have gone through processes of deconstruction. And uh, this song is called VBS um, and it's it's pretty good. <laughs> um, it's it's pretty good, especially for our, uh, our community and um, how she processes um, sort of that that whole era that defined uh, childhood summers for so many of us. So I thought here in the middle of um, this summer would be a good one for us to hear and meditate on. So I'll share as I as I usually do um, and just take this time um, for whatever you need it to be. So here you go. Actually, let me make sure that I clicked all the right buttons. Share sound. Okay, here you go. In the summer of 07, I was sure I'd go to heaven, but I was hedging my bets at VPS. The preacher and a t-shirt told me I could be a leader, taught me how to build a fire and to spread the word.
There you go. I uh, hope you uh, like that Slayer reference. So there you go. <laughs> but I know for me and for many of us, uh, a lot of those images and the feelings uh, that she works through can really, uh, really connect. So I'll put I'll put a link in the in the chat if you want to follow up on it. Thanks, Max. So. One of the hardest aspects of deconstruction, if not the hardest, in the sense of discouragement and, and loss that comes from what we call the, the demythologizing of the world. I'm talking about losing one's belief in the supernatural, or at least experiencing strong doubts about things like miracles, the afterlife, and perhaps even God himself. This experience, as many of us know, can be quite upsetting and confusing. It can also be quite liberating and healing. And I think most of us experience all these feelings, which makes deconstruction all the more confusing. It's weird, when I think about my own experience growing up as a, as a Pentecostal and going from speaking in tongues and casting out demons and uh, believing in the rapture and having a generally what I would call a hyper supernatural worldview. When I think about that person compared to where I'm at now, it feels like a totally different me. And yet I can't point to a particular moment in time where I stopped believing in those things. It was such a slow burn. And because it was such a slow burn or a slow evolution, it wasn't traumatic for me. It wasn't really upsetting. Um, it was more freeing uh, and empowering than anything else. But that's me, and that's certainly not everyone's experience. But again, I think one of the hardest aspects of deconstruction is losing that sense of being connected to something supernatural or transcendent, losing that sense of mystery and, and wonder and um, those things that provide so much meaning in one's spiritual life. I don't think that one needs to let go of that in deconstruction. In fact, I don't think deconstruction is about ditching that stuff at all. And so I want to reclaim today, or attempt to reclaim and reconstruct that word supernatural, just a bit. Um, because I think there is something about it that still accurately reflects our lived experience of the world. The natural is super in the sense that the universe is full of startling things and mysteries that we will never solve. Perhaps, you know, perhaps nothing is beyond the natural, right? Perhaps nothing transcends the natural. Perhaps there is no two world split between the so-called natural and the supernatural. This is my own suspicion. But perhaps instead the two are, are fused together, the material and the immaterial the so-called physical and spiritual are perhaps one. You know, maybe the natural is self-transcendent in some ways. Some believe this is exactly what we see exhibited even in conscious beings like ourselves, a material brain exhibiting an immaterial mind. There's a growing school of thought today that posits that, that consciousness or mind are not the strange and novel property of just some complex forms of matter like our brains, but perhaps consciousness and mind are a fundamental property of all matter and, and that of the universe itself. This is the main argument from a burgeoning field of study called panpsychism, which I won't get into here. I've, I've discussed it before, but I, I find it really compelling. And I think it's just one example among many today of how the more we discover about ourselves in the universe, the more we discover just how super the natural really is. And I think that's helpful for those of us doing some deconstruction or some, some reconstruction. The trouble is we find ourselves in a difficult bind. We don't want to return to a state of blind faith, right? And an uncritical acceptance of supernatural claims. We don't wanna regress back to that. Um, we don't want to regress back to former superstitions and return to a kind of fundamentalism and pseudoscience, nor do we want to become pure materialists or pure atheists and believe in nothing. 
Uh, we, we don't want to believe in nothing transcendent or spiritual or material, and, and for good reasons. But we're not sure how to live in that space in between those two positions. It seems like an impossible balancing act, right? And I'm not saying that I found a way um, to do that, that that's like an easy way to do that. But I think I found a way to make that balancing act or to live in that space in between easier. And one of those ways is something called radical empiricism. Radical empiricism is a school of thought that says if something is experienced, then it's real. In this way, radical empiricism is different than just regular empiricism, which maintains that only those experiences which are physical and material, measurable and testable in a lab somewhere, only that is real. That's, that's empiricism. It's basically very similar to materialism or scientism. Radical empiricism, on the other hand, says the entirety of the human experience should be taken seriously, not just the parts that are physical and, and quantifiable. The fact is humans have always experienced the world in ways that defy explanation and that cannot be recreated or tested. And yet these experiences, call them supernatural, are very real because they are experiences, period. Whether they're mental or material, psychic or physical, they are experiences and therefore real. That's, that's radical empiricism. It just takes regular empiricism to its ultimate conclusions by taking the entirety of the human, of the human sensory experience seriously and as part of what has always constituted reality. And in this way, radical empiricism is actually part of a much broader field uh, called phenomenology. If you know a little bit about philosophy, you've probably heard of phenomenology before. Phenomenology is the study of subjective human experience as that which constitutes reality, rather than reality just being some purely objective thing that's out there that's totally accessible and understandable. Whatever reality is, we only experience it through the filter of our five senses and our brain, which gives us a very limited picture of all that reality really is. The fact is we see less than 5% of the lights, uh, of the available light spectrum. We see left, less than 5% of the EM band. That means that 95% of what's going on around us, we can't see. We also now know that the universe probably consists of around 10 dimensions, and yet we can only experience or perceive four. That means that most of what's going on around us is beyond our cognition. Our brains did not evolve to access that because it doesn't suit our needs for survival. And yet perhaps sometimes, perhaps sometimes our consciousness picks up on these other levels of reality, like a radio that sometimes, you know, if the conditions are just right, can pick up the, the faint signals of distant, distant uh, radio stations. Consider also that our culture and worldview play a huge role in helping us construct a picture of reality. And one's culture and worldview are extremely subjective and contingent things. All this to say that our experience of reality is always subjective rather than objective. This is the main point of phenomenology and its offshoot, radical empiricism. Think of this being like the, the last scene in the movie or in the, in, the, um, in the last Harry Potter movie, towards the end of the last Harry Potter movie. There's this scene where Harry dies, right? And he goes to the afterlife, which strangely looks like King's Cross train station. And there he finds Professor Dumbledore and asks him, Professor, is this real? or just happening inside my head. And Dumbledore, of course, responds, well, of course it's happening in your head, but why should that make it any less real? That's, that's radical empiricism, that's phenomenology. Now, that doesn't mean that we throw out our critical faculties you know, out the window and no longer delineate between events that are material and events that are mental. Um, events that are happening in the physical world around us and events that are happening entirely within the confines of our own mind. We still make that cut, so to speak. Now, that, that being said, sometimes those lines are blurred, right? Uh, but to not distinguish at all between, between what is mental and what is material is to undergo what psychologists call 
a dis disassociation or derealization or to have a psychotic break with reality. That's not good, right? Uh, this is something people with um, who suffer from schizophrenia uh, experience, right? They can't make the cut between what is what is imaginary and, and what is not. One time I took too much weed. I'll be really honest. I, I uh, overdosed on an edible and I had a small taste of what this was like. And it was the most terrifying experience I ever had uh, to not be able to delineate between what is imaginary and what is not. And some of you have had similar experience with psychedelics and hallucinogens. You got to be careful with that stuff. That's sort of my PSA for today. Be careful with that stuff, kids. Uh, and this shows us that the, the veil between what is perceived as imaginary and what is not is very thin. Even in the most lucid of times, we're closer to that edge than we think. Religion, I think, in, in spiritual traditions, Religion and, and spirituality, I think, is often about exploring that boundary between what is imaginary and what is not. Sometimes we do that with pharmacological help, as hallucinogens and psychedelics have been part of religions and spiritual traditions for millennia. If you do some research into that, you will discover that that's the case. And again, this is because religion is often about exploring those porous boundaries between our mind and the material world around us. I'm reminded of the story of Stephen from the book of Acts uh, before the, he was before the Jerusalem religious or the, the Jerusalem um, council in Acts seven. And during his trial, he looked up into the, he looked up to the sky and he saw the heavens open up and Jesus was standing next to God at the right hand of the father. No one else present saw this except him, which suggests of course it was happening inside Stephen's mind, and yet it's presented to us in Acts as something quite real. Something similar happened to Paul on the road to Damascus, right? When a blinding light in the sky knocked him off of his horse, and a light or a, a voice came from the light which said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? His traveling companions saw nothing. They, they were not blinded by any light in the sky. They were not knocked off their horse. They claimed to have heard a voice, but not being able to tell where it came from. I think these stories and others like them are great examples of how religious or mystical experiences are often mental and internal experiences, but seem to also contain some physical components or affect us physically or psychosomatically. In this way, such supernatural religious or mystical experiences are quite real. They're quite real. We actually have a perfect example of this today within um, our society and within the UFO phenomenon. Now, before anybody gets excited, I'm not going to get into whether or not these are extraterrestrials. That's another matter entirely. Instead, I just want to look at them through the lens of radical empiricism and as a kind of modern myth. The fact is there are aspects of the UFO phenomenon that are quite physical, right? They are caught on camera, They're, they show up on radar, that they are corroborated by multiple eyewitnesses like pilots, they're the subject of an ongoing Pentagon investigation and Congress is looking into them, right? And then there are other aspects of the phenomenon that are non-physical and appear to be more mental and even mystical in nature. The UFO phenomenon is not really one or the other. It's, it's not all material or all mental, it's both. Both aspects should be taken seriously in order to understand what's really going on. And in this way, they function as a kind of modern myth. You know, the fact is people have been encountering strange and powerful visitors from the sky for thousands of years, right? The gods have always come from the sky. The deities have always come from the sky, according to our religions, right? The world's religions, including Christianity, all contain tales of luminous beings coming down from the heavens to give us special knowledge or to warn us of pending disasters, to help us, to enlighten us, to change us, or, or to simply observe us, right? This is a common trope in many of the world's religions and ancient texts and spiritual traditions, including Christianity. In that sense, the UFO phenomenon is nothing new. It's nothing new, but simply the latest iteration of an ancient and universal story. Now, the fact that it plays on contemporary technological motifs and science fiction themes, right? Um, the, the fact that it plays on these contemporary themes is exactly what myths have always done. 
myths and spiritual revelations have always been incarnated and enfleshed within the cultural context of where they originate from. I suspect that if the story in 2 Kings of Elijah being taken up into heaven in a, in a flaming chariot, I suspect if that story was told today, it would be a UFO or a flying saucer that, that took him up instead of a chariot. But chariots are what people understood back then, and spacecrafts are what people understand now. For the same reason, people in largely Christian or Catholic nations, um, people in those kinds of countries see apparitions of the Virgin Mary or that of Jesus, whereas people in, in places like India will see apparitions of Kali or Vishnu or other Hindu deities. Are, are we to conclude these, these people are all lying or suffering from mental, some, from some kind of a mental illness? No, of course not. So what's going on? I love this quote from Jeffrey Cripple, a professor of religion at Rice University that's had, a, uh, had an impact on me lately. I've been reading a lot of his work. He says this, what is the imagination? What is the imagination? Is it simply a spinner of fantasies or can it also become a window of revealed truths from some deeper part of our soul or the world, end quote. For Professor Cripple, the imagination is like looking through a window where we can see our own reflection in the glass a bit, you know, like in a glare, but also still see through the window to what is beyond. Have you ever been able to do that? You know, you can see your reflection a little bit in a glare, but you can still see through the window. In this way, we cannot see through the window without also seeing through ourselves and therefore seeing a part of ourselves in whatever we see out there. Perhaps this is why people always have visions and mystical experiences in the language, in the symbols, and the cultural context of where they live. It's just the way that we spiritually see. It's just the way that we spiritually see. And spiritually seeing, by that I mean having visions, mystical experiences, etc., is just part of what human brains do. It's just part of what human brains do and have always done. And to say that, that this is just what human brains do is to say that this is what nature does because we are a part of nature and nature is a part of us. The mystical, the supernatural, the esoteric, the, the so-called paranormal have always been part of the so-called normal. The supernatural has always been part of the so-called natural. And I think this is an important understanding for us to have as post-evangelical deconstructed Christians who are probably struggling somewhat with believing in the supernatural still. And, and you know, we should, right? I, I think we should always keep a critical eye about this stuff. But I hope what I've said today can help us reconstruct some of our thinking in this area and reinvigorate our sense of wonder and our sense of being, being connected to something transcendent. I I really want that for us. I think that's still really important. And so what I've shared today, I guess I should say what I've shared today works for me. <laughs> I guess that's all I can say. But I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Does anything I, uh, I say today, has, has anything I said work for you too? Anybody want to, any questions or comments about any of that? Yeah, no, it hasn't that worked for me. I don't believe in the supernatural, but I wish I did, and I miss it. And I um, want to look. For, I keep looking for magic in the world, but don't find it. And uh, I wish it was there. You know, I wish we had that stuff because it would be really cool and it feels really good to believe in genies and demons and gods and those types of powers that are beyond us um makes the world an interesting place science does it to a degree but it's not the same uh, emotional response there's not the same fear or the same awe i guess yeah for me so yeah, thanks for that honesty, man. Um, you know, I, I just, and I'll be honest with you, like, I don't believe in angels and demons anymore like that, uh, either. 
there are certain aspects of the supernatural that I just, you know, growing up in a Pentecostal tradition and obviously kind of fundamentalist means I think you burn the bridge of naivete about a lot of that supernatural stuff. But I think that there's ground between, you know, so-called, you know, the very wooden kind of hyper realistic angels and demons and kind of, you know, that, that fundamentalist depiction of supernaturalism and a more, I think, intellectually honest and perhaps more integrated understanding of how the natural is still super and can contain things that quite frankly are, you know, transcendent. Um, I, I think there's some middle ground there. And I, I certainly feel very reactionary to my upbringing. Um, but I, I, I feel like there's still something going on personally within the natural world that might be, might be best described as something kind of super or transcendent. And that's why I'm trying to reclaim that word today. Maybe we can't reclaim it. I don't, maybe the word has lost its, its, uh, its power and its usage because it comes with so much baggage, that word supernatural. I don't know. But thank you for your, for your point of view. And I certainly share a lot of that. Other, other remarks today? I hear um sometimes I um I wonder about that whole experience I had with you know the infilling of the Holy Ghost and praying in the spirit and and I still do that and I used to be so sure where that came from and now I'm like I, I don't know is this really from the Holy Spirit or you know what kind of supernatural or mystical thing was that or was that just such a powerful experience at that time that maybe I don't know. It was just an experience of speaking different languages, like two or three. And, and um, so I'm still trying to figure all that out, you know, what's real, what that really was. You know, Paul called it praying in the spirit. So that's, I guess that's one thing that um, I really have anchoring me to my faith. And, you know, um, you have, did you have that experience? Or oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, being raised Pentecostal meant I was baptized in the Holy Spirit like you were, uh, mm -hmm. speaking, in, speaking in tongues, very much so, yeah. Yeah, that was a big part of my life probably until my early 30s even. Um, mm -hmm. That stuff didn't fall away until well into adulthood. Um, but again, it wasn't so much like I lost um, all, of, all of my sense of being connected to something transcendent. But I certainly lost a lot of that um, stuff from my upbringing and no longer really relate to it that way anymore. Um, and, and yet some people still do. And, and I think when we look at other religious traditions around the world, like specifically altered states of consciousness that people obtain through meditation and say Buddhist traditions, you know, I don't think we would ever go into a Buddhist temple and see people doing that and roll our eyes and scoff and, and mock it in any way. I think we would hold it with reverence and respect. And yet if I went into a Pentecostal church and saw that I couldn't help be kind of triggered by it, you know, and I feel like part of me wants to like leave room for, for that stuff still. And um, realize that the human experience is one that is extremely subjective and diverse. And um, anyway, I guess, I guess I just don't want to be you know, too, too reactionary against, you know, that part of my upbringing and just you know, diss it all and, and anybody still associated with it. I, I don't want to be that person, but yet I got to admit that I no longer really believe that way anymore, like a Pentecostal, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I find myself often feeling still kind of mystically connected to something in nature and in the physical world that still moves me like that. I still feel moved that way. I don't know, may, may, maybe all this is just carryover from, from the Aaron of 15 years ago. I, I don't know, but I, this is where I'm at. Would it be too triggering to ask what you feel that experience actually was? Um, do you think it was pressure from the external that maybe you just did something to um, make them think that happened to you? Um, you mean you mean what I thought, it, what I think now, what it was when I was growing up, like what, what I think now about it? Yeah, when you had that, that experience of being filled and speaking in other languages. And I, I, yeah, here's, here's what I think. And I, this is how I kind of merge then and now together. I like Jack Caputo's work and, and his understanding of the event, 
that there's some ineffable aspect of what it means to be human. We'll call it the event of being, um, some, something wrapped up with our consciousness where we, where we cannot help as human beings. This is kind of a universal experience, regardless of culture, place, and time. We cannot help, but I think experience the sense of transcendence, the sense of being connected to something much bigger than ourselves. I think that's kind of a universal human experience. And I think whether you experience that kind of mystically now in meditation or you experience it as, as a fundamentalist being baptized in the Holy Spirit and with speaking in tongues, you know, eyes closed, hands raised, those kinds of altered states of consciousness, I think it's all tied into this event of being, this, this astonishment of consciousness, this, 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 this very deeply human thing about being, again, about having a mind and being conscious and being aware. I, I think it's all tied into that, Randy. And that's why I still kind of hold some respect for, for that kind of Pentecostal, you know, stuff. And when I see people in worship services, again, with hands raised and eyes closed and swaying to the music, and there's that repetitive drum beat, and, you know, the, the lighting is lowered and repetitive lyrics. It's all meditation. It's all getting in contact with that deeper part of our consciousness. It's it not, maybe it's not anything supernatural at all. Maybe it's totally natural, but maybe the natural is kind of super. <laughs> Does that make sense? And, yeah. and, you know, and, and I, I'm trying to to show how that works for me now. And so I'm still kind of like holding on to the past a little bit, what was good about it and, and still kind of pointing towards the future. Um, but does that make sense, Randy? I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like sometimes I see preachers in the park or something and I get a little bit irritated. Like sometimes I just want to check it all because of, you know, I've had negative and positive experiences, but um, yeah, just kind of a, yeah, oh, in between place. No, but this is something wonderful and really healthy about this for us. I think as people, we need to explore that and still find ways of being feeling connected to something bigger than ourselves, feeling connected to something transcendent. Maybe you get there by taking a walk in the woods or you know, contemplating the simple beauty of a flower or, you know, through meditation, through, you know, practicing mindfulness or through prayer or through worship, you know, it can, it can happen in a variety of different ways. And, you know, a lot of post-evangelicals, people that have gone through deconstruction are finding that frankly in, in hallucinogens and, and, and psychedelics these days. And there can be something really, really good about that. It can be kind of dangerous too. Um, but, you know, there can be something kind of healthy about that. And again, hallucinogens and, and, you know, psilocybin, you know, DMT, all of these things have been part of religion and spiritual traditions for millennia. There's a reason for that. Um, you know, some of the stuff can be vehicles of opening our minds more to the truth of how we're really connected to everything and how everything is kind of one. I don't think that there's something unscientific about that. I think there's something deeply scientifically true about that. And yet that's also mystical. So I, I think we can live in these spaces where these ideas are blended. And that's that's how I've kind of reconstructed. And that's why I see a lot of people who are reconstructing, reconstructing today. But anyway, um, does somebody else want to comment or jump into the dialogue here? Yeah, Aaron, I had a, a reflection on this. Um, I think we live in a time where uh, people like explanations and maybe it's been that way for a long time. So if you, if you look at the scientific, right, as soon as something is explained, then the idea is that it's lost power. Yeah. And then, but I also feel on the mystical side, a lot of those um, worldviews and systems of belief, once it's locked in, then the curiosity for those people is gone because that's the way that it is. Yes. Right. So to me, what's what's that issue is actually curiosity itself. Um, I think most of us aren't scientists. Right. So we get an explanation in school or whatever. And then it's like, OK, that's how it is. But actually, it's it's that's just part of the explanation. Right. I think of um, if you if you see a radio for the first time back in the day to some people, that would have been a ghost in a box. Right. But to us, we understand it's intellectual like. Uh, it's, it's an electromagnetic wave and whatever is going on in there. And then we know that the sound was recorded somewhere else, but we still can't explain at, at the highest levels, the behavior of the electron. It's still spooky as they say, right? So 
either ends of it, I feel like the curiosity is what drives us. And I was listening to something where they were talking about how the, the human brain automatically makes shortcuts and makes meaning for efficiency. And it seems that when we stop doing that, something in us goes a little bit dead, whether it's because our religion made us stop or the way that we approach science, like we, we have a box explanation and then we're done. I feel like it's the loss of curiosity that, that gives us that dead feeling. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with the mystical explanation, as long as you're still asking questions. Most of the, the mystery that I know, like I struggle with, some of it is, is stuff from childhood that was, you know, it's like the frame is there, but now I see the holes in it, so it's, it's painful. But the things that are new, that are mystical, like other religions and other ideas, like those are still exciting because they're not, not boxed in. And I explore and explore and explore and it grows. It doesn't ever become false. It just makes a different kind of sense. And that part helps me when I struggle. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks. Thanks, JP. Other remarks, questions, comments? Points of view. Just I a see. quick reflection. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, please go ahead. I was going to comment on something somebody was commenting on the chat, but I can wait. Go ahead. Um, as you were talking, a couple of things were going through my head. Um, one of them was Richard Rohr um, and all of his talk about God being in everything. Um, and he has a really famous quote, and I was actually looking for it and I can't find it. Um, but it has to do with God, I guess, kind of magic being in everything. And so if, you know, there's a reason that when you look out into nature, you feel, you know, overwhelmed and small, and there's a reason, um, and that God is in, oh, gosh, I'm not explaining this well. <laughs> he does it a, a much better job. But while I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how kids see the world. And I was thinking about how beautiful their magic is and how we do so much as parents not to stifle that because it is so beautiful. And yes, there is a very, you know, it's, it's all about innocence and not, you know, developmentally, not, ex not understanding the entire world and the intricacies of it, but also that we can't lose that as adults either. Um, or is that I don't want to lose that as an adult. And I still find things really magical. Um, but yes, if I were to go into worship service, I would tell everybody they were nuts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it would be extremely triggering for me. Yeah. Um, especially certain songs. Like if I hear them anywhere, I oh, know, I know. Oh, they really get me. <laughs> I know. Um, but no, just that, just that it, and then it, you know, it hit me that, um, you know, Jesus talks about so much about being like a child. And I think about that all the time when my kids stop and smell roses and I'm like, come on, we got to go. And I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. We can just, we can just sit here and smell this rose, or we can look at this lizard, or we can watch this ant go across a path. Um, all of that to say, I think there's something magic in that as well. I think there's something magic in, in just slowing down and seeing the beauty that is all around us. Um, and that magic, I don't want to ever lose sight of, I guess. Yeah. Is my thought. Yeah. Thanks, May. And I, I, I think it's also important to realize that even a materialist, you know, outlook on the cosmos and life, like a purely materialist outlook is still one that can be full of curiosity and a sense of wonder and a sense of depth and beauty. Does that make sense? If, mm -hmm. if you, uh, to like some of the what, what are called the new atheists like Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris yeah they can be a little annoying with their with, with their kind of fundamentalist sort of atheism their desire to convert everybody right um, but nevertheless it would be wrong to say that they don't feel a sense of wonder and awe when they look at nature it'd be wrong to say that they don't or even like you know Jason talking earlier about how he just doesn't believe in anything supernatural at all it would be wrong to look at someone like like Jay 
or, you know, I'm not saying, Jason, I'm not saying that you're like a pure materialist or, or you're Richard Dawkins or something like that, but you'd be wrong to look at someone who is a pure materialist to say, oh, you're not moved at all. You're, you're just totally filled with like, you're just a total nihilist. And like, no, these, that's, that too can be a way of experiencing wonder and curiosity and a sense of deep connection to the world around you. And I guess the point is we all kind of get there in different ways in, in some in some respects. I am, re, I am resistant to any kind of, you know, fundamentalism, be it, you know, a kind of, you know, religious fundamentalism or a kind of anti-religious fundamentalism, right? The, there is a kind of fundamentalist or sort of um, strong theology on, you know, the materialist side that says, you know, unless you believe that nothing exists outside the physical, then you are deluding yourself and you are missing out on this deeper insight. And um, unless you completely divest the world of anything transcendent, you are, you know, again, deluding yourself or something like that. And th that can be a way, I obviously, of kind of, a kind of arrogance um, as well. But um, anyway, I, I just want to point out that even, even a materialist understanding can be still deeply one that is invested in wonder and awe and curiosity. Does that make sense? I don't want to like put those folks over there and say, oh, we, we can't be like them in any way or like they're just totally wrong or bad or something. But um, yeah, other, other thoughts. Yeah, Cassandra, I see your your uh, your words here in the chat about how radio and TV is still kind of amazing to you and kind of filled with magic. And it's interesting, Arthur C. Clarke, who is kind of a famous uh, scientist or science fiction writer too, he, there's a famous quote that people love to trot out of his, um, where basically he said, um, anything, any 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 technology that's far enough advanced is indistinguishable from magic to people who are not you know, as, as advanced. So in other words, if, you know, we were able to get in the time machine and bring folks from the 19th century forward and have them look at a smartphone or airplane, they would think all this is magic. But um, it's interesting, Clark actually was deeply invested in the paranormal and the supernatural. And people use that quote of hers to think that, oh, he was a total materialist. Well, no, he wasn't. And actually, uh, he can be better understood uh, as saying, and this goes along along the lines of what you're kind of claiming, that any sufficiently profound magic is indistinguishable from technology. And by that is simply kind of flips it on its head where perhaps, you know, the universe is infused with magic and immaterial and, and transcendent things. And perhaps technology itself should be understood as a kind of magic. And, um, you know, it's interesting. We come from a culture that I think is deeply invested in a kind of metaphysics of materialism, but actually perhaps everything is magical as, as May was saying, and as kind of Richard Rohr says, and you know, perhaps that, that's, that's a completely legitimate way of looking at things too. Um, you know, consciousness itself is kind of magical and immaterial. And um, you know, uh, there's good reason to think that it is the undergirding or you know, uh, un underpinning uh, nature of nature itself. Consciousness, mind is behind everything. And, even if that's totally natural, there's something immaterial and unmeasurable, immeasurable about that. And so all that to say that perhaps magic and technology are actually completely indecipherable, indistinguishable. Um, that too is a legitimate point of view, I think. Anyway, other, other thoughts today? Well, I just want to conclude with, with this kind of word of advice. Um, no matter what your point of view is regarding the supernatural, the, the point is to hold whatever beliefs you do have lightly, right? To hold on to them like this and not like this as a way of granting yourself a sense of certainty and knowing and that you're right and others are wrong. Because the whole point, I think, to a healthy form of spirituality is one, as JP mentioned earlier, is curiosity. Always, always being curious and open to change and growth because um, I think that allows us to remain healthy as, as human beings, right? We're all familiar with the unhealthy kind of fundamentalist 
point of view where it's all about certainty and certainty is often about avoiding a more honest encounter with ourselves in the world and protecting ourselves from the difficult truths of life and existence, which is that we're immersed in mystery and unknowing. And we really don't have the answers about much of anything. <laughs> and embracing that truth, embracing that reality is really the deepest form of faith and spirituality and making peace with the difficulties and the complexities of life and the ambiguities of all this stuff is really the depth dimension of, of spirituality, making peace and, and finding serenity in, in the truth of our lives, uh, which is, again, one of uncertainty and unknowing. Making peace with that is ultimate, I think, truth and ultimate uh, a kind of uh, spiritual serenity to be found. I hope that, you know, I was like, that's, that's the radical theology take on this, right? That's where it all kind of goes. But I also want us to be a community, a spiritual community that affirms the spiritual and the supernatural still. And, and I think that there's so much going on around us that we can find wonder and awe in and, and find faith in. So anyway, um, thanks for being here, everybody. And you can hang out and chat a little bit more, but um, go in peace. And if we'll see you next Sunday in person, if you, if you can make it. Otherwise, you can always be here at virtual, virtual church. <clears throat> Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Bye. Randy. Bye-bye now. Okay.